Blog Talk Radio. Welcome all truth seekers from across the globe. This is Reverend Karen L. Heasley from the Spirits of Path Church of Newcastle, Pennsylvania in the United States. Our truth seeker show covers a variety of subjects from angels to afterlife communication to parapsychology to spiritualism to near-death experiences, meditation, and a number of other truth seeking topics. We are happy you have chosen to join us for this episode and hope you find it informative and enjoyable after our chat tonight we will be taking calls here is our number so get a piece of paper and a pencil and jot this down 657-383-0416 so remember i'm going to give it to you again 657-383-0416 our guest tonight is joanne dimaggio Joanne is an inspired author, teacher, and past life researcher. She has been actively involved with Edgar Casey's Association for Research and Enlightenment since 1987 and coordinator for the ARE Charlottesville, Virginia team since 2008. Joanne earned her master's in transpersonal studies degree and her spiritual mentor certification through Atlantic University. She also is a graduate of the Eastman Institute of Hypnotherapy, which she acquired her certified hypnotist designated designation. I'm sorry. Joanne has been professionally pursuing past life research and therapy for over 30 years. The years she spent as the head of her own past life research center outside of Chicago, enabled her to interact with some of the leading past life therapists, authors, and other renowned practitioners from across the country. Her books include Soul Writing, Conversing with Your Higher Self, Your Soul Remembers, Accessing Your Past Lives Through Soul Writing, and her newest book, Karma Can Be a Real Pain, Past Life Clues to Present Day Melodies which focuses on physical karma as the source of a current chronic condition. Joanne has been a guest speaker at conferences across the country and on over 50 radio programs, including the Shirley MacLaine Show and Coast to Coast AM. She is the founder and director of the Unity Holistic Healing Center, a service of unity of Charlottesville, where she maintains a private office conducting past life and life between life regression and soul writing sessions. For more information, visit www.joannedimaggio.com. Hi, Joanne. It's really nice to have you here tonight. Hi, Karen. I'm so glad we finally had this chance to chat. Yeah, me too. You you have la- uh, led a fascinating, fascinating journey. I guess the one place we should start is maybe you should tell our audience what soul writing is. 
Well, um, as you mentioned, I've been involved with the, uh, Edgar Casey's ARE for many years, so I am a, a student of Mr. Casey's teachings. And um, so soul writing came out of his work, of uh, what he termed inspirational writing. So the best way for me to describe it is if you think of prayer as us talking to God, meditation is God talking to us, soul writing is you taking notes. So in essence, it's really a written form of meditation. So it's like being a pen pal with spirit. Um, so when you go into a meditative state before you do the writing, you go to that place where spirit resides, and that's where spirit whispers to you, providing you with information that comes into your soul and then out through your hand. And while you're in that state of divine connection, you can an- get answers to any question at all um, and uh that's what Mr. Casey did. He waited for questions before he, you know, started to give answers to people in his readings. So it's um, a fascinating tool of transformation. Um, it's with you. It's like a 24-7 phone home card. So if you think about when you came into being uh, uh, into the human realm before you left, it's as if God tucked a little phone home card in your backpack and said, if ever you get into trouble and you need help, there's someone here who will always be there for you, will always be listening, will always provide you with answers. But you just have to remember to use the card. So that's what that's all about for me. It's, it's teaching people how to use it um, and all the ways that it can be applied to your life. Okay. That gives us an idea, at least, of people say, well, what is soul writing? Now, we know, now we were talking before the show started about Madame B. I call her that, the, the Russian mystic. you want to talk a little bit about her to the audience? Madame Blavatsky, yeah. yeah. Well, I was when I was doing my research, I was looking at all the many famous writers who, um, who worked in an altered state of consciousness. And when they did, the quality of their work reached new heights. It was vastly different in style and tone and composition than work that they did in their waking state. And among the people that I that I looked into was Madame Blavatsky, who founded the Theosophical Society in 1875. And she said that her masters initiated her into the secrets of esoteric mysticism. And they helped her to write the 1,300-page secret doctrine that became the foundation of modern theosophy. It's one of the primary sources of our generally accepted metaphysical concepts. The interesting thing, though, about the Theosophical Society is that when I lived outside of Chicago, you know, their their headquarters is in Wheaton, Illinois, which mm-hmm. is a suburb of Chicago. Um, <clears throat> when I was living out that way, I was going to a regular study group there, and we were always looking for new topics to explore. I did not know much about um, the Theosophical Society other than it was uh, a group of very... Um, of like-minded people who uh, had conversations that were both challenging and uplifting, but they were always looking for a topic. And so one day I I said, let's talk about, um, well, I, I think back then I called it automatic writing, shame on me. But um, uh, And knowing that Madame Blavatsky had, had used it in writing The Secret Doctrine, they said, absolutely not, we will not discuss that topic. And I thought, well, how ironic that your whole organization is based on a document that she got using the same formula of writing that I wanted to talk about, and they they wouldn't let me talk about it. So 
Um, so I found that sort of interesting. And I think a lot of it has to do with the um, misconception of what it is. Um, and um, <clears throat> so um, so that's my uh, entree into the Theosophical Society. I was just curious, so they didn't want to um, dive into that at all? Um, be- no, the group because voted of- it down and said no. That we, the, I don't know. It's, it happened so long ago. I don't. This is when I first okay. was getting into this material. Mm-hmm, I but I wonder. think that they they may have had a list of of things that they didn't want to talk about or couldn't talk about, or or for whatever reason, or or maybe it was just the uh, prejudice of the group that I was in. But um, but no, we we couldn't venture into that, into the realm of what their founder had actually used to write the secret doctrine. So I thought thought that was rather amusing. That is kind of But there's others, oh, there's quite a few other people who, um, you know, Percy Shelley, the English poet, yeah. uh, Rudyard Kipling, Richard Bach, John Keats. I mean, the list goes on and on of, it goes you know, on. and they all struggle to, they, they use the same process, but they didn't know what to call it, you know. So they, um, and, and a lot of, uh, of composers too, Mozart, Beethoven, um, and, you know, Dr. Helen Shuckman, who, Heard her in her voice say, "This is a course in miracles. Please take notes." Yeah, and when she was describing the, yeah, you know, so and she described the writing process as exactly the the process that uh, we use when I teach soul writing. And I was, yeah, it is fascinating. And I I was reading in your book, and I have a first edition of this book by uh, William Stanton Moses, um, uh, Spirit Teachings. I do have that book. Where we were uh-huh. taught, and, and you can correct me, but uh, well, how I was taught about that is he actually got his writing from the spirit world when he wrote that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read so, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I but see. None know. of them had a name for. None of them had a name for it, and um, you know they just struggled to find the words to define what was the source of the inspiration behind what they were writing or what they were composing. You know where where was this coming from? Because they knew it wasn't they knew it wasn't necessarily coming from them, that um, that they were being guided uh, by an unknown source, um, and that they 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 described it as getting a inner dictation, and um, you know trying to to keep up with it, uh, and. Um, so, and like I said, that, that even Mozart talked about it, and he said, "Whence and how they come, I know not, nor can I force them." Meaning his just his creative process. So it's not something that it, this has been around for a long, long time. Um, they even say the Bible was written through in, inspired writing. Mm-hmm. I've heard that so, too. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's. Uh, the the information coming from a higher source and coming through the person. The person's acting as a vehicle um, by which this information is coming through. So it's, in a way, it is channeling, but oh, yeah. um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. but the right kind of channeling. Yeah. 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 And I I, I like this um, part in the book about um, the Saint Louis housewife Pearl in the early nineteen oh, hundreds. Yeah. She worked with the spirit yeah. name Patience Worth. Yes, yes, yes. And that um, was incredible, right, because of the writings, and she didn't have much education. Exactly. You know, I mean, they everybody agreed that, that, that it couldn't possibly have come from her. But I don't know what I don't know what method she used. I don't know if that was um, 
Why more of the automatic writing sure, versus right? the soul writing. No, no, you know, you don't know because you don't know what their process was. And that's sort of a key to knowing the difference between automatic writing and inspirational writing or soul writing, as I call it. And by the way, the reason I call it soul writing and I didn't stay with inspirational writing, which is what Mr. Casey called it, is okay. because when he used the term uh, inspirational writing, it was at a time when um, it meant something completely different than it does today. Today it, it refers to uh, mostly a Christian genre. So it isn't quite, an automatic writing is more in the occult. So neither one of those t- names fit this process. Uh, so I decided I would think about how I could um, position it so that it returned back to the meaning that Mr. Casey had, which is, and I know it's coming through your soul, so I just called it soul writing. Soul writing. And I, I noticed that Mr. Casey really didn't like automatic writing, right? That's, that's no. what I got when I read the book. No, he, he sure didn't. Um and there was a very good reason for that. Um, <clears throat> he believed that inspirational writing came from source with a capital S, mm-hmm. and therefore that it could be used as a means for soul development. Automatic writing came from an outside source, which sometimes was comprised of what he called low influences. So he warned okay. of spirits on the outside who were always looking for a way to communicate, but they weren't always for one's highest and best. So when you open yourself up in a meditative state, you give them that in. And uh, his son, Hewlin Casey, wrote a book, Venture Inward, and he shared case histories of individuals who experienced the detrimental effects of automatic writing. So in essence, Casey was afraid of um, possession. Mm-hmm. And um, because and, and so he, when he did his readings, he would tell people, you know, not to do automatic writing, but rather to do inspirational writing. And um, and uh, when I studied what he wrote in his readings and then what subsequent uh, writers who studied this talked about it, we came, I came up with a, a chart that tells people the difference between the two. So, for instance, inspira- uh, soul writing or inspirational writing comes from within you, whereas automatic writing comes from an outside source. Um, soul writing, you do a meditation beforehand. Usually with automatic writing, you don't do a meditation. With soul writing, you have total awareness of what you're writing. With automatic writing, sometimes you have no clue what's what's coming out on the paper. Similarly, with soul writing, you just allow and consciously watch the writing to proceed. But with automatic writing, you have no control of your hand. It just happens by itself. With soul writing, your, your handwriting looks the same as it does when you're in a conscious state. With automatic writing, the handwriting is often different. With soul writing, you do say a prayer of protection. Surround yourself with white light before you begin writing. With automatic writing, the prayer is omitted, usually. And finally, the biggest difference between the two is that with soul writing, your soul is being guided. It's being gently nudged in a certain direction, Mm -hmm. where with automatic writing, it is often directing you or impelling you to do something. So that's why with soul writing, you're getting the collective consciousness and it's it gives you the message from a plural, like, uh, we are with you always. But with automatic writing, it's often the ego word, I. You know, like, I compel you, I'm telling you what to do, and and you have to follow what I say, that sort, that sort of thing. So those are the differences between them. And I think that because the term automatic writing has been around for so long, and most people 
are familiar with that term, they think that what they're doing is automatic writing, and often they really are doing soul writing, but they don't know it. But you can't convince them of that. I've tried. Some of my best friends I've tried. And they're, no, it's automatic writing. And, and so I said, well, okay. But I did my thesis on this subject, so I read a lot of professional journals from psychiatrists who were using something similar to that to work with their clients. And uh, and believe me, there is a difference between the two, just like um, – you and I were talking about the Ouija board earlier. Yeah, you want to tell? Like, oh, I'm with you. To... <clears throat> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, that's all right. Um, you know, with the Ouija board, uh, I got into that around 1987. This was right after Shirley MacLaine came out with Out on a Limb, and okay. um, I didn't read the book, but I saw the miniseries. It was on ABC in January of 1987, and I think that that was the big wake-up call for a lot of sleeping metaphysicians. Because um, I always had an interest in, in this, especially with past life work, since I was a teenager, but um, uh, but I never really considered working in that field uh, until Shirley came out with Out on a Limb. And a friend of mine who um, we had been in a, uh, a group uh, for new mothers, because we both had had children around that time, um, we, I didn't know she was interested in it, and I was interested in it. So she had a Ouija board, and we started fooling around with it in her home. And uh, right after that, all kinds of weird things would be happening. She, um, she would have light bulbs popping in her house. I was having uh, some poltergeist activity in my house. I remember uh, one time a, a, a whole tray of lasagna slid from one side of the counter all the way to the other side of the counter scared the bejesus out of me. Oh, yeah. And another time, my, my son, it was, uh, he was little, and it, it was Halloween, and I put the candy on top of the refrigerator because I didn't want him to get into it. And he you know, kept demanding that, that he have the candy, and I said no. And then all of a sudden, the whole bowl of candy just toppled off the top of the refrigerator. So then I knew I was in trouble, and we had inadvertently let some uh, spirits in because um, we didn't know anything about protection. And we had knew nothing about um, where this was coming from. Because, you know, we're naively thinking, ha, huh, isn't this a game that sold to Toys R Us? Isn't it Milton Bradley? Yeah, well, they I think, did. did. They actually did sell it that way. You're correct. Yeah. Yeah. So you think, well, if they're selling it in a toy store, how how dangerous can it be? Well, you know, mm-hmm. it's very dangerous. And uh, as I told you, you know, the ARE, when it listed uh, all of the no-nos, things you shouldn't be fooling around with, uh, automatic writing was number two. So, uh, no, Ouija, was that, what did I tell you? That yeah, was it was number two. two or, I don't know. Do you know what number one was? Yeah, Ouija board, was, I think, was number one. Wasn't oh, it? Oh, I thought it said number Ouija two board. in the book. Could be. But well, anyway. you're right. I have a terrible memory. It's up so. there anyway. It's the top you. ten. Let's yeah. put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's in the top ten for sure. Top five okay. of don't do. And um, yeah. so after that, I learned, I, I didn't, um, I learned the difference between the two when I happened to go to a ARE uh, conference in Chicago and Dr. Henry Reed was one of the speakers, and he gave out information on something called, he called inspirational writing, and uh, he really talked about the difference between the two, and that's when I learned that I did not want to do automatic writing. I wanted to do the uh, inspirational writing, the soul writing, and uh, and using that prayer of protection and surrounding yourself with white light is essential. I don't care whether you're a, uh, a novice at this or whether you have been 
you know, a master metaphysician um, because you you can get cocky no matter how experienced you are. That's what happened to yes. me. I thought I don't want to, I don't want to take the time to say this prayer and to surround myself with white light. I I don't want to get into that deep meditative state. I just want to start writing. Well, guess what happened? You know, I I had mm-hmm. uh, an experience with um, an energy I could feel in my arm that wasn't right, and um, my friend uh, Kelly and I saw a, um, a psychic and a channel somebody that was doing some channeling. And she pretty much like scolded us and took the Ouija board away, <laughs> threw it away. <laughs> so, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so we learned our lesson. <laughs> yeah, I. And you know what's fascinating? As I read your book, and I, I have to tell you, I thought the book was fascinating because it brought up people like uh, Ruth Montgomery. I didn't know she was in the um, press uh, press corps. I I never knew that. I know she had a real regular I never did. job. That, Really? Yeah. I'm, yeah. Wow. She's a nationally syndicated news columnist. Yes. Yeah. I, I, and then, but see, she said that all of her later books were created through automatic writing because she said oh, she in did. the morning she'd get up. Yeah, she said it, but she, I don't think she knew any better either. She, okay. um, But she ended up at the ARE, by the way, because she got into trouble with this. But every morning she would sit at her desk in front of her typewriter. She would say a prayer, close her eyes, relax her fingers, and then her guide, Lily, and 12 others came through giving her what she called um, the most beautiful philosophy that I've ever read. So I'm not quite sure. She called it on me. She may have been doing soul writing, but again, it's the misconception and the misunderstanding of the, of the term. You know. And so one of the things I really stress is to understand and, and correctly label what you're doing because um, automatic writing is, in the, is definitely in the occult column. Um, and there's dangers to it. And uh, I, I really get concerned with people, um, you know, very innocently wandering into areas that um, that they shouldn't without the proper protection and understanding uh, of what it is that they're that they're inviting in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I understand. But and you know, people say they don't know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. People say what? Go ahead. Oh, people say that um, they, they're not sure who they're writing with. It could be, you know, you could call it your angel, your higher self. You could call it God. Um, it, it, it really doesn't matter. It's the quality of the message that you get and how it impacts your life that's important. No, it is. And for our listeners, um, she was guided, <clears throat> Ruth, I read this, she was guided by Arthur Ford. He was a, 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 a mm-hmm. you know, a top-heavy medium at the time. He actually, if people don't know this about Arthur, he actually was said to have broken the code between Houdini and his wife. Uh, and I don't know if you knew that or not, Joanne. I was just throwing that out there for some people, but he was. That's what they said. He broke that code. So I just wanted to say that she was guided a little bit by him. Now, now I don't. I'm not sure if he. I think he was a trans medium, but don't quote me on that. I think he was, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. I think but you're I right. He, I, I, he did break that code, you know, when Houdini, they had a pact between them, you know, and mm-hmm. that's what they mm-hmm. say about him. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Um, but I'm surprised because he guided her, right? He's the one that told her. You know what's fascinating about this? And that's probably with anything I think the work with with um, 
a higher consciousness or uh, the higher consciousness would be you have to do it at a certain time. Would you say that to be correct? A certain day is oh, right. It has to be. Well, that's a one of the things way, that right? Casey talked not. about. Right. He he gave uh, um, he gave some suggestions on how to establish a writing ritual, and um, so one thing he said was to find a sacred place. So. Um, you know, you find a room. I don't know. When I go into houses, I always look. The first thing I think of, can I write in this room? Uh, you know, when we're going to buy a house or something. So quiet and privacy and soft lighting and a comfortable place to sit, you know, are the primary requirements. So if you're the kind of person that can feel out the energy of the space you're in, yes. you know, sense where you feel peaceful and centered, mm-hmm. and then and then claim that space. And then set the stage. He, he said that, you know, you, you could use um, music in the background tones, bells, whatever it is that deepens your uh, meditative practice. Uh, same time, same place. He said that, you know, it, it's best if you, you know, because we're, we're creatures of habit. So right. if you say, you know, I'm going to do it at 10 to 10.30 every evening, and you choose that period, it's like spirit almost knows in advance that they have an appointment with you at that time and they show up. Yeah, that's what I was just um, going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They know. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then so you can decide need... whether you want to use a, a go, go ahead. Sorry. No, you can decide then if you want to use a pen or a keyboard. Yeah. Um, she did the uh pen for a while, right? And then she went they she went to a typewriter then, right? That's what the book said. That yeah, was... she she did it on her manual typewriter, which I imagine was very difficult. I don't know how to you do. be hard. But Well, you know, I've done it both used on the computer. It. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I learned. That's how you hold I am. I learned on a manual typewriter, but um, uh, really, you know, the, when you yeah yeah, it's when when you um, when you use your hand, it feels different and and it's slower. So the fact that it's slower, it it takes the time for the message to gel and then to come through you. When you're at the keyboard, you're going lickety split. And since your eyes are halfway closed anyway, if you by any chance shift over even the tiniest bit and you're uh-huh. not looking at the keyboard, you will get gibberish. So what I do is I, I do it by hand first uh, and then I transfer it to the to the computer. So I have a, a hard copy of it that way. Um, but that's a preference. You just try them both and then... You know, like I love to write with a fountain pen. I love the feel of the ink as it flows on the paper, but that's just me because I'm a <clears throat> child of the 18th century. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to um, bring that up, but we're going to go into that. You <laughs> move right into that, Jillian. There I but go. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah. You just want you. Okay. So tell us about as a young child, uh, you know, in the 18th century. That's You want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, I don't remember much about being young in the 18th century, but in this century when I was young, um, I had a lot of clues about a possible past life Mm -hmm. in 18th century Virginia. And um, that's why I tell especially new parents, pay attention to what your children are saying. Because between the ages of one and five, or whenever they start talking, and five, they are still very much connected to spirit and very much connected to that prior lifetime. Yeah, so if they say some yeah, so if they say something to you that sounds like it's their imagination, 
You know, like remember when you were the when I was the mommy and you were the child. Um, pay attention because uh, that's important information coming through them. Um, if they see an imaginary friend, pay attention because that could be a spirit guide appearing to them or their angel appearing to them. So they're still very pure uh, at that age, and they haven't been on the earth long enough to uh, sort of have that driven out of them. But when I was a child, I loved anything dealing with 18th century Virginia or 18th century American history. Um, I used to go to the library and get books on Dolly Madison and Abigail Adams. I used to try to wear my hair in ringlets. When I was a little bit older, I was writing with a feather pen, using an ink bottle and a feather pen, writing by candlelight. I loved to listen to Baroque music, especially harpsichord music. I loved Mm it. Um, I took classical music from the time I was about seven or eight uh, till I was 12, till the Beatles came out. (laughs) And then I didn't want to play Beethoven anymore. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, I've got them in there too. (laughs) Um, And uh, But I had lots of hints about uh, I loved period pieces, I, uh, but I was living in, in the Midwest, and we didn't have much of a tie to colonial uh, history. So um, I majored in it in college, and um, I remember that this is when the soul writing actually started. Well, I started way younger than that, I shouldn't say, but in helping me out. Um, when I was in college, I, I, I majored in uh history american early american history and um but i didn't like to really study i didn't like to read the books or anything i just liked to go and listen to the lectures so many of our assignments were we had to write essays so i remember that i would sit there and not know what the answer was but i would say a prayer and i'd say you know could you help me provide information for this essay and off the pen would go just all by mm-hmm. itself would just go and go and go and go go so i had a history professor who called me into his office i was terrified of him but he sat back and he looked at me for a long time he kept staring at me and he looked at me because you know you have the most uncanny feel for the 18th century of any of my students and i said you know i i know that i do but i don't know where it was coming from well turns out i wasn't writing from studying i was writing from memory right. and didn't know it so, so the soul writing was tapping into that past life and the memories of that life and bringing it to the paper. Uh, and so it really made that time period come alive. Uh, and my passion for it, my enthusiasm for research, uh, really began then. And um, uh, I wanted to write history books, so now I'm writing books that have the history of people's past life journeys which uh, is ever so much fascinating and because uh, I go with them. When I do regressions, I've mm-hmm. been doing past life regressions for quite a while, and when I do the sessions with them, I actually can go with them and see what they're seeing. And, um, and their stories are um, remarkable and uh, emotional and inspiring, and they, and they get a lot of aha moments because I usually take people to the lifetime that's most impacting them now. Okay. And then they can make the connection. And when they make the connection that what's going on now actually started a thousand years ago, they get this aha moment like, oh, you know, oh, that's a karmic issue I brought in with me. And if I work on it and I resolve it, I don't have to do it again. And that's the goal, to not do it again. So I tell mm-hmm. them it's like coming to school. It's like this is your your curriculum, and you decided you were going to take, say you're going to take acceptance and approval as one of your classes. And so... You know, you, you come in, and that's your issue in this life, acceptance and approval. But 
you choose your parents to help you with that, and your soul family, members of your soul family come in to help you with that. And it could be very challenging at times, um, but they're doing it out of love because they want you to get this lesson to learn that acceptance and approval does not come from the outside. It comes from within and it comes from above. Once you learn that, then you can cross that off your list, that you've passed that course and you can move on to the next one. So, um, so when I use the analogy of Earth being a school, people seem to get it. Uh, but I've had so many people that have had an emotional response during a, a regression. They'll burst into tears. Um, they'll start, you know, uh, saying things, um, you know, and um, you, you cannot fake that in a regression. Emotion is something you can't, that, that I can't make mm-hmm. anybody cry. I can't make mm-hmm. them see something that they're not seeing. Um, so with the regression, what I have found is that if I add the soul writing at the end, teach them how to do the soul writing, when they're still in an altered state of consciousness and we finish with that lifetime, I bring them back almost all the way and I say, now ask your soul if there's anything it could give you in writing that you didn't get in the regression. Maybe it's the backstory, maybe it'll fill in the blanks for them, answer questions, or offer guidance. Like, what does all this mean? What am I supposed to do with this information? How do I apply it to my life now? Um, <clears throat> that sometimes gives them even greater aha moments. And I usually do the soul writing along with them, and then we both read what we get and share that uh, as part of the session. So it, it's a very profound ending to uh, you know what is often a... a a very eye-opening, inspiring session. So, um, yeah, and it all started because I, I found this fascination for 18th century America, which is why, by the way, that I'm living in Virginia now. Yeah, yeah I know. I yeah. was just going to say that. You're right in the hub of that, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I came here much. chasing that pa- past life So, um, and met people that, that I knew from that past life that are in this life now. So... Um, I, I really have learned a lot about myself, and and I think a good past life therapist does that. They they um, you know, you don't just put out your shingle after taking a weekend course and telling people I'll help you with your past lives. Or you know, I also don't believe in going to people who tell you who you had been in a past life. That information is yours. That's in your soul. You could pull that out mm-hmm. anytime. And wouldn't you tend to more believe yourself than you would? somebody on the outside who's filtering that information to you. So I tell people, you know, Casey said all answers lie within. And you have the ability to pull that information out. You know, it's, mm-hmm. that information is there. It's always been there. You, you have every right to have access to your own Akashic record, your own book of life. Um, and that's one of the tools that, that, that past life therapists use. But I do believe that a really good therapist has done work on themselves first before they start to vent, because, you know, you have to be prepared for almost any eventuality that right. comes up. Um, and to be really helpful is to know um, the way out, the way, the information that they need so that they're not, um, you know, that they're grounded when they leave, that they understand the connection, um, and that they can apply it. So, yeah, so I have found the two work hand-in-hand, um for a greater understanding of the soul's journey. Now, when you do the past life regression with them, did you say you sort of walk the path with them? Could you explain that? Uh, 
I just yeah. Can I you can, say something um, about that. Well, I can see basically what they're seeing. If they're okay. describing to me, if they're describing to me where they are, you know, um, mm-hmm. if they say I'm in a hilly green area, there are a lot of trees around, and I'm looking down and I see a cobblestone village, and the houses are square with um, stone edges to them, and they'll they'll go on and they'll describe it. I'm right there with them. I can see exactly what they're seeing. If they're in a battlefield, I'm with them. If they're um, if they're servant and they're working in in some uh, home, I can I can be there with them, um, and that helps me to ask them the right questions because I don't want to lead anybody, uh, you know, into saying something that that they're not seeing um, or that or that they think I want to hear. Because I tell, because one of the questions, one of the things everybody says to me is, "I'm afraid I'm going to make this whole thing up." And um, what I say to them is, after it's all over, would you have actually made up that story? Would you, would you have made an appointment to come and see me, tell me this wild story, and then hand me money because you know I listen to you? And they go, "No, no." So, um, so that's um, you know that's why I say I lead them to the life that's most impacting them now. And, you know, we, we get to see who they look like. I ask them, you know, um, if their feet are bare or covered, what does their clothing look like, what color is their hair. Um, I ask them if they're inside or outside, uh, if they're, you know, to describe the terrain to me, to describe the buildings. Um, we find out uh, what their name is. Uh, we get uh, what country they're in, what continent first, and then country. Most everybody is on the earth. I have had a few who aren't, um, but um, Edgar Casey said everything that started on Earth has to be finished on the Earth. So mm-hmm. 99% of my clients do stay on the Earth. So they tell, and then they tell me what year they think it is, and they don't have to be pinpoint accurate. You know, I tell them if you don't know the, if you, some people will be real specific. It's 1369, whereas somebody else will go, I don't know, I think it's somewhere in the 1300s, maybe or 14th century. Um, so I tell them that each piece they give me is like a piece of a mosaic. So in and of itself, it means nothing. But when we put the whole thing together, um, it gives them a bigger picture. We focus primarily on the significant event in that life that was so important and made an imprint on their soul as unfinished business, and they carried that in with them into this life. But we also look at their talents, their skills, and abilities because they've earned those in a past life too. So you ever hear about children who are prodigies and yes. the parents go, I don't know where he learned that. Well, you know, he brought it in with him. Uh, it's not something he learned in this life. It's something that he had acquired in another lifetime and he's just tapping into it now. So, um, you know, it, it, I, I grew up, I should tell your listeners, I grew up Catholic. I went to 12 years of Catholic school um, and throughout that time I just did not get answers that satisfied me about life, about the justice, uh, who, what is a just God? Um, because, you know, I grew up thinking, oh, my God, if I ate meat on Friday and I got hit by a car, I was going to go straight to hell. Um, it didn't matter whether I had led a wonderful life prior to that, yes. you know. Yes. So um, so I, the, whole, the whole concept of sin uh, always was confusing to me. And uh, when I read about karma, uh, 
karma being, you know, cause and effect, what you reap is what you sow, or the other way around, which you, I don't know that, the exact quote, but um, uh, it, that made a lot more sense to me. It explained why some people are sick and some people are healthy, why some people have good fortune and others don't, while some people have relationship issues and others don't, or financial issues and others don't. Um, so it made it a very just universe, and I was comfortable in that just universe. It made perfect sense to me. It was very logical. So that's why I absolutely uh, embrace the whole theory of reincarnation, as have um, centuries and centuries and centuries of of others. Um, you know, here in the United States, I think that the percentage of people who believe in reincarnation is somewhere between 25 and 30 percent. But if you go to the East, it's completely the opposite. So, um, so I, I, uh, I'm really passionate about this work, and uh, I try to keep it very um, credible by doing research projects the way I have over these years, um, letting people come in and tell me their stories rather than me writing uh, books that say this is what I think and therefore it's true. I let other people tell the story themselves, and then you judge for yourself um, how you feel about it. So um, I think we're just on the leading edge of this right now, and it's one of the last of the metaphysical techniques that's being accepted. Um, you know, for the longest time, uh, this was considered woo-woo work and kind of out there. Even some of my colleagues at, at the Healing Center think that I'm way at the um, other end of the spectrum as opposed to more mainstream type of therapies but uh, this is very powerful most people only need one session they don't need to like you know if you go to a psychologist you have to go week after week after week after week this goes right to the root of the problem and sometimes just understanding it just uncovering it heals it I mean that's what I found with my um, karma can be a real pain uh, research project with people coming in with uh, all kinds of chronic illnesses we traced it to a past life and in many instances, just, just finding out where it came from uh, created a spontaneous healing, which, um, which I had never seen. I had read about, but I had never seen until I did the, the research project. So, so now I'm on to a new research project on life between lives um, and uh, working with people to do a regression first and then uh, have them go into the afterlife and tell me what that's like. But most of all, for them to relive that planning session with the Council of Elders and, and planning their next lifetime um, and choosing their parents and seeing who's going to come in and, and help them out. And, um, and that, this one is equally fascinating because I'm, I'm going to call it I did it to myself because I think a lot of people don't take responsibility. They think that it's everybody else's fault what's going on in their life except their own. Um, and when you find out that you actually set it up this way, so that you can learn lessons and your soul could grow is a big eye-opener for people. Um, so I'm, um, I'm having a, a really joyful experience working with the volunteers that are coming forth. Uh, I just had a session um, yesterday, uh, two sessions yesterday. So I'm trying to get them done by the middle of October, and hopefully the book will be out sometime next year. Now that's a, a brand-new book coming out. What's it going to be called? You did it to yourself? I did it to myself. You know, I I've did got it to come myself. up with a, Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I've got to come up with a, a 
a subtitle like, like you know I like that your your pre life planning session or something like that yeah um, yeah yeah so that's interesting the whole yeah. thing's fascinating it is it's very it is it's it's um i i am it, it fills me with so much energy and uh and uh, satisfaction and when i think about giving it up you know then i remember some of the people who came to me long after their regression to tell me that the information that they got is still applicable to them today and um you know even with the soul writing i mean there's all kinds of ways you can use soul writing um, in other parts of your life, so um, I like people to understand that that um, you know you can do all kinds of things with it. As I have uh, used it for creating greeting cards, um, and um, if you want to learn more of how to be psychic, you can use it for that. Um, you can explore yeah. your past lives with it. You don't need mm-hmm. to do a regression. You can just do the soul writing. Ah. And it heightens mm-hmm. your um clear sensitive, right? And that yes. it heightens right. the clear sensitive, right? Yeah, right, right. Hmm. Right. Interesting. That's Well, you use all you your what? senses with it, so okay. you know, it it's um but but that's certainly true. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just wondered about that. You know, we have a couple calls. I'm going to let people talk to you. See what <laughs> okay. they have to say. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Hi, welcome. What kind of question do you have for Joanne tonight? Hi, this is Jerry. I have a question about journaling. Where does that fit in between soul writing and automatic writing? Well, what process do you use when you journal? Well, how do you I went how do you get into it? I went to a therapist one time, and we listened to classical. She let me listen to classical music in a relaxed state, so it was a meditative state. And then uh, after the music was over, I just sat and journaled. And then she read what I journaled. She sort of analyzed it. Oh, really? I, mm-hmm. Yeah. It was well, nice. The process it was really of getting, helpful. The, yeah, the process of getting into it is is identical to soul writing because okay. you do listen to some, many people listen to some soothing music. I always play it when I'm teaching it. And then mm-hmm. that gets you into that deeper meditative state. And then it's just stream of consciousness writing. You just let the pen go on the paper. And often, you know, you don't bother to dot your I's or or, or, uh, or you know, cross your yourself. T's or, yeah. put, right, yeah. or correct your spelling. You just allow the, the message to come through. And it often isn't anything that you would have written in a conscious state. So I don't know when you wrote it if there were any uh, surprises in there or things that you'd say, where did that come from? Or, uh, you know, well, that makes perfect sense. Why didn't I think of it? Um, yeah. That's the way soul writing works. Yeah, so it is very similar to journaling. I just, yeah, I just wonder if that would be considered a, a form of soul writing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the other question I had was about karma. Like, I, I like to help people, but sometimes I'm. I one one time I was told that I was interfering with their karma yeah. uh, from another yeah. person that studied that kind of stuff. Right. And, and I don't know where where do you draw the line on that well they they have to um they have brought something in with them that they're working on and sometimes it's very painful for other people to watch 
especially if you care about this person. Right. I think that to, I think that to be supportive of them, to listen to them, to maybe offer some non-judgmental guidance uh, without mm-hmm. compelling them to do say you must do this, you must do that. You know, I think that that's helpful. But that's right. You can take on their karma if you interfere too much, too deeply. Mm-hmm. You need they need yeah. to learn that lesson, no matter how painful it is for you to watch. They need to they need to get through it themselves. Um, hmm. But having a support team around them, encouraging them, that certainly is acceptable. But yeah, it is a very fine line. I I, I can uh, definitely agree with what uh, your friends uh, told you. So uh, mm-hmm. so you just have to make the judgment yourself and say, you know, in my doing this or saying this, am I preventing them from having the experience and learning the lesson that this karma was here to give them? Because sometimes, like especially like with an illness, you you feel like they didn't really deserve that, you know. Like my my friend, what I'm going through right now, she lost she lost both of her children. Um, one had suicide, and the other uh, had a massive stroke and died. And now she's got a brain tumor, and it's like she does need help to get through that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but is that her karma? Should I just let her suffer? through that uh, you know sometimes a person suffering is really a lesson for those around them more so hmm. than from her because yeah. it's about how you react how you react to them she's the, she's acting as the the teacher and hmm. um she's giving you an opportunity to step up to the plate you know so hmm. um like they say children that come in with disabilities are extremely high uh level souls, very advanced yes. souls. Uh, and they're not coming in because they want to know what it's like to be in a handicapped body. They're coming in hmm. or to be physically challenged in any way, shape, or form. They're coming in like, you know, like your Casey had all kinds of cases of, of children that were blind. And it wasn't had nothing to do with them, nothing to do with hmm. their karma. It's all about the parents and how the parents were reacting and how the family was reacting to caring for this child. So, wow. you know, it's real important not to be judgmental because there's always a reason. Not, we don't live in a random universe. So um, there's a reason on a karmic level for this. This is something she's going there. She may have agreed to it, or she could have set it up in her pre-life session. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to come in. I'm going to lose two children. I'm going to go feel what that, that what is that like. Uh, and um, and then it gives people around her the opportunity to show her compassion and show her sympathy and love. Um, so um, it's very well orchestrated um, in ways that we don't even, we can't even conceive of unless we were to step back and really look at it from that perspective. Yeah, I, you really Hope gave that me helped. a lot of food for thought, yes. Very helpful. Oh, good, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right. Thank sure. you very much. Okay, I think we have another one. Hold on here. I I find that interesting. That a, a disa- disabled child that comes in, they or they have mm-hmm. a higher soul. You you said, Joanne, that I. Did they're I they're very that? advanced souls, and and okay. they're they're making the sacrifice to be of service to others, and that's okay. that's a really um, because they don't need the lesson they. They're beyond that at this point. Or, or maybe they do. I mean, like I said, you just don't know from case to case. But I do know that in many of the studies, uh, many of the readings that Casey did, that many times the child's uh, issue, challenge, was meant for the parents and not necessarily for that. So, like, you know, 
a, a blind child, it's not necessarily that he blinded somebody in a previous life, mm-hmm. but there are cases when that's exactly what happened. So it's a tit for tat mm-hmm. in that case, you know, uh, or somebody who's morbidly obese in this life made fun of somebody who was overweight in a previous life, and now they're experiencing what it's like to be in that body. Um, oh. But, you know, so the, it, it's... Um, it's often tit for tat. It's often cause and effect, but uh, sometimes it's these really high-level angels that are coming in to help teach the people around them the lesson. That's that's interesting. Thank you for clarifying mm-hmm. that for me. Uh, sure. Thank you. Yeah. So we're gonna let's see who else is. Hi. Hi, my name is Lori, and I'm calling from uh, Orlando, Florida. Hi, Lori. Really... Hi, is this Joanne? It, this is no, Joanne. Is it here. raining down there? Yeah. Is it raining down there, Lori? Uh, no, no. We just have the horrible heat. It's like oh, 93 no. degrees at like 8 minutes to 8. It's, it's really... Oh, my. Yeah, it's strange. It's stifling. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, Joanne, I'm really intrigued and also informed and just so um, hungry to listen to you talk. I uh, used to listen to you. are welcome. I used to listen to um, intuitive reader Brenda Bradshaw, who is very, very much so an Edgar Casey. I'm always going. I'm almost going to say aficionado. She knows mm-hmm. everything about Edgar Casey, and uh, she manifested to work at the Casey Foundation in Virginia. She's working in the library and I believe doing intuitive readings, and she had several shows for years on Blog Talk Radio, also Good Morning Virginia. I really miss her because um, she was just like you. She would feed the mind um, give us the answers that we don't even know we're hungry for. Mm-hmm. Everyone let know how things work, why things work. You know, more complex than just cause and effect. We all have to have some kind of reason to bite onto, even if it's metaphysical or spiritual. It, it, it's got to make some kind of sense. And I just really mm-hmm. applaud you for making sense to what I've always felt. I've always felt since I was a little child that... Um, just like a tree regenerates, why wouldn't we? I mean, it right. makes no sense why we wouldn't have a before life and an after life and why we wouldn't have several lives. Um, yeah. I was a very yeah. intuitive child, extremely intuitive. And because of that, um, I've always can give me the answers because I'm a, a born walking question mark. Everything has to make sense, not so much from a scientific or or analytical or, you know, analysis perspective. But, mm-hmm. you know, things have to make sense. So what you're saying about um, the reasons why we have reincarnated and why we have suffered and why there's been people that are extremely successful on, on the third 3D plane and others like myself who have, for no reason, just struggled with job and career struggled with family and it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever but mm-hmm. after listening to you talk it makes more sense to me now 
that these things have more to do with other people's lessons than my own. Could be, yeah. And like I said, if you go to the life between live session when you actually were planning this life. So what you do in, is that you look at your previous lifetimes with your counselors and they go, well, what do you want to work on? And I've had some people in my study that are going back a thousand years and they're only working on the issues from a thousand years ago now. And why? Because the opportunities and experiences for them in this life are ideal for working on that issue that, that they've held off working on for for a thousand years. So it's, um, you know, it's pretty fascinating in, in the way that it uh, the way that it unfolds, and um, there's a reason for everything. There really is. And uh, but the best person to to uncover that reason is you. Um, and um, but thank you for mentioning Brenda, by the way, because I just was at the beach last week, and the next time I go, I'll, I'll, and I'm always in that library. For your listeners, the the library at the ARE in Virginia Beach is supposed to be the second largest metaphysical library in the world, second only to the Vatican. So if you want to immerse yourself in metaphysical studies, esoteric studies, that is the place to go. It's one of my favorite places. But I will ask around about her because I have uh, I have not heard of her before. So, um, And I thought oh, I knew just known. about everybody. She's world she's known. Her name, she's world known. She's been... Um, She's uh, even been jailed for people thinking she's crazy because she's been an intuitive. Uh-oh. She's 64-plus years old, so she was talking about past lives, reincarnation, life regressions um, mm-hmm. for probably over 40 years. Um, I'll have she, to look her up the next time I go there. Yeah. Look look up yeah. even on archives for blog talk radio shows. Her name is okay. Brenda Bradshaw, and when you okay. do find her, of which you will, tell her Ann from Florida, one of her regular callers, um, is the one. Everything happens, serendipity. Everything happens for yeah. a reason. That's why I'm supposed to call in so that I could tell <laughs> you about Brenda. Okay. But my question, my question was I had a reading with her, and she used to always go into the Akashic Records, and right. she said, Lord. And I go, yes, ma'am. She goes, you need to see um, your lineage and you need to see the family that you were born into because you're not going to believe why you are the writer that you are, why you do what you do. Um, It's not going to, everything will come into place once you know who you are or where you come from. And that question just kind of stung me because she didn't finish it. And I just thought, well, how do you leave me hanging like that? That's quite a cliffhanger. But, um, and so did I, you? No, I still haven't found out. She was like you. She would just feed my mind, and I could just not talk and, and let yeah. her speak for, like, hours. I would call into her show and just listen. It got to where she saw my number, and she knew, are you just listening tonight, or are you going to... Do you have a question? No. <laughs> just listening. Yeah. Just listening. There's a pause. There's a delay whenever you uh, listen on the on the internet versus call in, and I like to hear it live. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Well, you know, she's uh, she's giving you a major clue. So I would definitely, you know, talk to your soul about it. You can access your your akashic records on your own. 
Yeah, I have to do that some the next time around. Um, yes. You know, uh-huh. um, I mean, there's a Henry Leo Bolduc who's since passed. He was one of the ARE's premier teachers of reincarnation. This was many years ago, like in the 80s. And, um, and he did a whole guided meditation of going to the Akashic Records. And actually I have one uh, that I've written that I use in one of my uh, – uh, workshops that I give at some conferences, but um, you know, there's a way yeah. for you to go and, and get get that book and read it for yourself, and that, your answers will be in there. Wow! So there you go, Laurie. More homework, for, more homework for you. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm just all of this is uh, to me, it's 100 percent normal. Um, yes, I know. <laughs> it's 100. Those of us normal. who do it all the time, this is this is life. This is this is. You know, this is how we operate. It's interesting because my family is not into any of this at all. So um, it's it's kind of, um, I know better than to start talking about it because their eyes start to roll back in their head. But that's okay. That's their journey. They don't have to follow mine. You know, they don't have to follow behind me. Um, and uh, yeah. that's why I, I gravitate to like-minded people like you. As do I. And my family is the same. But by the same token, whenever I put hands over them and pray mom's the word everyone's really really quiet when I pray over Mm -hmm. them or when I Mm -hmm. pray over the food or whenever I say a a loud prayer out loud or when I close my eyes all eyes are on me and Mm -hmm. part of my spirit is to learn not to be insensitive because I'm every kind of Claire you can think of I'm highly Mm -hmm. sensitive it's affected Mm -hmm. my food affected everything but I just had to put kudos out there to you for blending hypnotherapy uh, in a positive way because I was um, mm. and yeah I know better now I know a yeah. lot better um, he didn't do what you're doing and what you're doing is guiding people um, not even by the hand not even by suggestion you're just basically there to almost say it's okay. Yeah, you got this. Yeah, you got this. There is a difference. <laughs> yeah, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank and you. I, I just know that from, um, again, I can read energy. Here I go. I can read energy into what you've been doing and into how your sessions have been going. And um, all I can say is keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Lori, and I appreciate it. Lori, thanks for calling in. Thank you, ladies. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, that was fascinating. So your family's not really into that. Wow. No. Mm -mm. I mean, they'll... um, My daughter has come to some of my programs but she doesn't participate if I, you know, I've offered to do regressions on all of them and they don't want to know. But I tell them, I said, but it would help us to understand the dynamic between us. But no, they don't want to do it. So, you know, you, um, everybody's following their own path. We're all going to go to the same place. That's as, true. You know, eventually. Yeah, we are. We're all connected. But how we get there is, is truly up to each of us. And, uh, 
this work speaks to me. I feel like I've been doing it for centuries, and um, and uh, and I know it makes a difference in in people's lives and for the positive. And uh, and so I'm um, I'm really grateful. I'm grateful that I remembered to start doing this work in this life. I I, I would love to have many more years to uh, continue. Um, Hopefully, I'll continue into the next life, because you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, our the vehicles, our bodies, our car, like vehicles, are like cars; they wear out. They do. Uh, the soul doesn't. The soul stays the same, no. and so it's like the mm-hmm. soul goes, "Got to trade this one in," <laughs> and so in you know, in, in out goes the old, and then we uh, come back again um, to work on something else or to continue what we didn't finish. So I have a a new granddaughter coming in at the end of October. Oh. I can't wait. To uh, to see her and and uh, I've got a two year old grandson and and I keep I look at him with different eyes now after doing this work with so many people for so long, um, you know to me he's this beautiful little soul and I wonder what's his job what what's his soul's mission and how can I help him uh, and um, and so you look at your children differently your well your grandchildren I didn't know this enough to look for it in my own children but I'm very grateful that I'm around now and can can be of assistance on my grandchildren's spiritual path if they so choose that and and, and they because um, you know I would never impose on on anybody I don't believe in that so um, but it's when you recognize people that have been studying this work you start to recognize things fairly quickly and. Uh, and wouldn't that have been wonderful if somebody had been around to do that for us when we were growing yeah, up? Yeah, when we were growing oh. up. Yeah. No, yeah, really. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. It was interesting how you talked about how children, if they just um, put down the electronic um, devices, you know, and and listened. Mm-hmm. I like that one. I was going to I was going to try to work on a soul writing course for children. Um, I think that's wonderful. Letting them use their letting them use their imaginations to write stories. Yeah, and uh, it's through using that process though, like putting on the the soothing music, having them do a little quiet time ahead of time, yes. and just kind of giving them some visual imagery to mm-hmm. uh, to get them into that relaxed state and see what comes of it. I my daughter is a teacher, and I've um, when she she's not teaching um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what do they call the writing now? They call it something different, um, but she's so. Her, her class wouldn't be a good one to to teach this to, but because um, I think she's teaching math and science now, so mm-hmm. this is the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> They're using their left brain. I <laughs> yeah, need them to get into the right end. brain. You're right. You're, yeah. you're right. They yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, <laughs> but um, like I said, it's it's endless, endless where this can go and all the benefits that that it would give people if they would just give it a just give it a try, see how it feels. Um, you know, and um, you'd be surprised at at what comes up. Oh, I just want to go over some points you had in the book. Maybe people will do this, mm-hmm. how to establish a, a writing ritual. And I'll, we'll go over the points just so people might want to do this. You know, Jan, they just might. And the first yeah. one you said, like, find a sacred place. Right, we talked about and that. We did, and set the stage. Mm-hmm. And at the same we time, about we that. talked about that same place and pen versus keyboard, which you talked about your right. pen that you like to write mm-hmm. with. Right. Focus on an and idea. And then focus on an ideal. Um, mm-hmm. 
this is this is right out of the Casey material in the Search for God books. Okay. Um, he he you know he defined an ideal as something beyond and above toward us which we build. So mm-hmm. that's your highest spiritual attainment that you can reach on the material plane. So you measure everything against that. So for me, um, it's to inspire and empower through the written word. That's my ideal. So when I do the writing, I always keep that in the back of my mind. You know, how do yes. I how do I help people? So that's that. Meditation, of course, we talked about that. Yeah, key. meditation. Um, right. Yeah, you've got to um, do that and say the prayer of protection. That's also key. Yeah, um, that's important. And then that is, it's uh, it should never be skipped. I cannot stress that enough. Um, then just get ready to write. And you have to be patient and you have to trust because mm-hmm. this is a spontaneous process. So you have to trust in the source and then you have to get out of the way. So if you don't, try to manipulate or force the words because if you do, you'll disrupt the process. Um, and, you know, if you want guidance on a specific topic, present it in a very clearly stated question. So ask okay. questions about what's bothering you. And just remember that the deeper the question, the deeper the reply. And then I, I advise people to date the page and keep your wrists loose and your eyes halfway open. And then allow the message to proceed. So this is a hard part for many people um, because you get impatient and you want to give up. Um, mm-hmm. that's why it's important to keep your wrists loose and just start with ovals. Hmm. Just make ovals on the page. The words are going to follow. And um, and your best work is actually going to appear in the middle. Um, so um, some people get sent- full sentences. Some people just get a word here or there. Some people get paragraphs. Some people get drawings. It doesn't have to be words. You can start drawing something. Um, the words are going to come in their own time, and they'll stop in their own time. So it's really an instinctive process. Um, it's true soul writing is between you and a higher power. Right. So it's never going to be critical of you, and it's not going to bully you into a change of attitude. It's never negative. It doesn't tell you what to do, but just offers gentle guidance on options for you to consider. So, you know, if you keep in mind that soul writing is coming from a very high level, your loving source would never call you names or make demands of you. Mm-hmm. So write whatever you receive, and then turn off your internal editor. Don't worry about dotting your I's or crossing your T's. And then wait before you read. Now, I know that's hard to do, but it's true that if you let it sit for a while, it grows in meaning. So it's like a fine wine. You know, what it, what it says today is going to be something different than two or three weeks from now. So if you could go back to it, you'll be surprised. And then I, I also tell people to keep their writing safe. Um, this is like having... Um, like having your spirit guides as your psychotherapist and you're laying on the couch in front of them you Mm -hmm. don't necessarily want other people to know what that conversation was about because you're exploring different things that if and i've had this happen to me where i've had a family member pick up my journal and read it without my knowledge and did not understand anything in it and interpreted it completely different than what it was Mm. intended to be and that created a, a, a very huge problem so I always tell people, keep it safe. If you get a generic message that you think will save the world, then go ahead and share that. But if it's personal, you know, just keep your writing safe. So um, so those are the top tips that, that I have for for doing it. And, and they are listed in, in all of my books um, mm-hmm. so that people can remember them. But once you get going, you don't have to do all of them every single time. You know, once you find your sacred space, you found your sacred space. Mm-hmm. Um it's just the medit- the important part is the meditation and the prayer. 
that's very important um, <clears throat> because if you don't do those two, you may very easily slip into the automatic writing column. And if you do that, then you're opening yourself up to some potential problems. So, um, so yeah. So that's and you know and and you learn how to use it for all different kinds of reasons. You know whether it's getting a past life exploration or guidance on a specific topic. Um, I did it. You probably read that uh, because I wanted to um, explore the difference between universal laws and the Ten Commandments. I did. And, I did um, read that. And I had a like a three week tutorial from Spirit. And the thing that really got me about that the first day was the message that I got in the middle. You gotta remember, soul writing is like an Oreo cookie. You know, the, the top layer is hello, we're so glad you're here, and it doesn't make much sense. But then the, the middle is where the message is, and then they slowly back out after that. <coughs> Excuse me. But the thing I got in the middle was no, no, um, no universal law begins thou shalt not. And I wouldn't have thought of that on my own ever. And when I read that, I stopped. I actually stopped and put the pen down because I was so stunned. There is no universal law that begins, thou shalt not. So if I wanted to know the difference between universal laws and the Ten Commandments, there it was. So um, I found that interesting. But you can, you know, explore uh, psycho. You could really work on um, doing some psychoanalysis and healing with it. Uh, you can um, use it in other art forms, like composing music, or or, or doing painting, or sculpting. Um, yeah, so it's got a lot of different uh, uses, no matter what your age. Um, you know, if you're um, terminally ill, patients can use it. You know, people suffering from stress or depression, new mothers with their frustrations, you know, teens feeling insecure, seniors doing reflections, widows talking about loneliness and grief. Soul writing really just alleviates the anxiety. It's not a cure-all, but it sure does help. Um, yes. Because problems in a conscious state uh, are, can be explained in an altered state. It just gives you a different angle to, to look at. So it's really fascinating. I know I, I just use that word a lot, but I, I can't think of any other thing to say. No, I find it fascinating. I, and I just think that when you talk about this, you are so elated and passionate. No, I, yeah, I find really. that really. I love that. When I can talk to somebody yeah. that's really elated and passionate about something to share <laughs> with the world. Well, it 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 has changed my life. For the better, I have seen it change the lives of other people. It really has an impact. You know, we were talking about left brain, right brain people. Yes. It really has an impact on left on the left brain people. I had a um, when I was teaching this in um, Austin, Texas, a woman came. She was a lawyer, very left brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's sitting and she's writing and she's just sobbing as she's writing. And I, I felt such compassion for her. And and when we were done with the session, I. I asked her if she was all right, and she said, I never thought I could write like this. This this was just remarkable. And, um, you know, when I do it at ARE, I have people who, the same thing, they, they are they're just amazed at, at the, the depth of the information that they're getting. And they read it out loud sometimes, the brave ones, you know. 
they read it out loud and, and they've got people sobbing around them. And um, I know one woman used what she got in the soul writing to compose lyrics to a song that she then sang at the ARE. So, and she thanked me publicly. Wow. Uh, she said, "This, this, these lyrics, I have been trying to write these lyrics for years and one session with Joanne and here they are, you know. That, you're not having a session with me. You're having it with spirit. The, it was always there. You just didn't know mm-hmm. how to access it. So, um, yeah, it's um, it's a pretty remarkable tool of transformation. But one thing that you have to give yourself credit for, you have the gift to help people access that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm very humbled by that. Believe yes. me, it's um, it's um. Sometimes I'm not even aware of how it's impacted. Unless, you know, really, because unless somebody takes the time to tell me about how this affected their life, I wouldn't know. And um, and then, you know, there are times when I think, why am I doing this? I'm getting so tired, and does this really make a difference? And, you know, um, and then somebody will come up to me and say something like how I've changed their life or, or the writing has changed their life, and, then I uh, then I know why I'm doing it um, mm-hmm. because you know if you make a difference in just one person's life, boy that goes in your karmic bank account. You know, oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> and, no, it does. and we all need as many pluses in our yeah. karmic bank account as, as as we can get. Plus, I know I'm doing the 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 work that soul that my soul is here to do, and um, and I hope Mr. Casey is pleased that I'm I'm continuing sure on with the the work that he. That he began because I um, some people are doing similar work, but uh, but because I combine the Casey um, the ARE people love it because uh, how much they love Edgar Casey and all of his teachings, and he's never steered anybody wrong. It's the reason he's called one of the most renowned psychics of the 20th century oh, and yeah. the father the father of holistic medicine. You know his yes. health readings. He out of the 14,000 readings he did, 12,000 were health readings. And uh, his remedies, his remedies are, were far ahead of his time. We're still using, we're just catching up with him now. And there's a company, I think they're in Pennsylvania, that um, makes the Casey remedies. They're called Bar. It's B-A-A-R. And uh, um, I've been using some of the Casey remedies, and they're right on. They're just. And, you know, there's a, a movie that we're going to be showing here in October called The Readings. It's a Japanese documentary about mm-hmm. the, the Casey Health Readings. It just shows you that his his material is being read all over the world and uh, it, it really can affect global change at, at a level that we're not even aware of. So I'm very proud uh, to be a part of that organization and to consider Medgar Casey my mentor, even though he's been gone for such a long time now. Um, but um, there's been nobody like him since. And, he was uh, such a humble I, man, too, wasn't he, Joanne? He was a very humble man, very, yes. very humble man. Matter of yes. fact, he never knew what he said in those readings. No, he I had, heard He didn't that. know I what he said that. until somebody, told, yeah, he, he, he would kind of go to sleep and then go right. through, um, and go into the, uh, uh, Kashuk Records, and uh, and then and then tell people about. He didn't start talking about past lives till um, till toward the end. So he did only two thousand of the fourteen thousand readings were life readings, and then the life readings he would tell people 
you know, in a past life. He usually gave them about four past lives because mm-hmm. he said you couldn't really handle more than that. And uh, he would say, you know, your soul gained or your soul lost based on, on what you did. So um, uh, it was very mind uh Matter of fact, I'm writing a book. I've just about finished it uh, about a, uh, a baby who came to him when he was two days old. And Casey did a reading on him and said he was the reincarnation of Thomas Jefferson and Alexander the Great. Now, how would you like to know that at two days of age? So Casey said, you know, this soul can do for the world what Jefferson did for this country, provided that he's raised in a certain way. Well, of course, his parents didn't follow the advice that Casey gave him, and, you know, he ended up being pretty much of a, a recluse and uh, never did any of the glorious things that Casey said he was capable of doing. But that just shows free will, you know, mm-hmm. that, yes. that you can have the most, uh, you can have the most um, impressive pedigree of your past lives. You, and we don't, people mistakenly think that past lives you start at the bottom and work your way up. You don't. You go up and down and up and down and up and down. So even Casey had... Before he became Edgar Casey, he was uh, his name was Bainbridge. He was a riverboat gambler, um, <clears throat> and misused his powers, uh, and uh, ended up uh, in the river. <laughs> so, and he was also Rata, the great you know priest of of Egypt. So, um, you know, it's uh, and not everybody has had a famous past life. Don't get me wrong. In my work, I have un- I have dealt with some people who actually have because let's face it those people have a soul and they have to come Mm -hmm. back but they're not always coming back in the grandeur that they that they had before because why they're working on something else this time around so um or they may have done something when they were uh famous that that they're ashamed of or you know has led them you know thomas jefferson had slaves so um if you talk to the man that oh which, P.S., the, the man that um, Casey said had been him is still alive, and he does live here in Charlottesville, which is where Thomas Jefferson lived. So, um, And if you talk to him, uh, he'll tell you the thing that, that bothers him the most was that, that issue of slavery. So um, so everybody has something, um, you know, even, even people that you look at them and go, wow, what a lifetime you had, and they'll say, and, and most people who have had famous past lives, by the way, the ones who really have been famous, are extremely humble. Mm-hmm. They usually don't even want to talk about it. You yes. know, I had a woman come to me once, and she said she thought she was Patrick Henry. And I said, why do you think you're Patrick Henry? She says, because he was a good talker, and so am I. <laughs> that was it. That was yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, I mean, people people who really have had uh, famous past lives, um, you know, uh, remember the good times and the bad times, the times when they were had a lot of anguish uh, and uh, the downside of fame. And uh, uh, they're, they're usually, um, they don't go around bragging, I was so-and-so in a past life. Um, so, I mean, but you know what? A lot of, uh, like I said, everybody who was famous had a soul, and that soul was reincarnated since that famous life, if it was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the other book I'm writing is, um, I've got several of them simultaneously. Well, you're so I'm busy, writing Why Are There So... You know? I know, I'm crazy. I, it's like, yeah. it's called um, Why, Are There, Why Are There So Many Cleopatras? And other questions about reincarnation that you wanted to ask. And, and uh, 
So I'm, I'm looking at the top questions that people ask me in in my practice um, and providing answers not only from me, but I'm looking up what other famous past life experts have written about different elements of past life work. Um, so one of the questions is, why are there so many Cleopatras? You know, why are there so many Napoleons? Um, you know, or or whatever. So other questions like, what's the difference between a twin soul and a soulmate? And, uh, you know, questions like that. Um, and some of it can get pretty complicated, like when you start to go into parallel lives. And um, Because I have people who come to me for a regression, and their lifetimes overlap. Because they'll say they died in a year after they were born in this life. So how could that be, right? So those are the kinds of, of things that sort of baffle me when, when I'm working on them. But that just causes me to go and do more research. I was going to say you're going to go do research and dig deeper into that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's what you're going to do. Cause that, yeah, because that's what I like hmm. to do. You know, I, I really, I honor the work that came before me uh, and hope that I'm setting a path for those that will come after me. So um, it's just an ongoing, very... Um, exciting journey that I love to share with people. Just for our listeners, and they might not know what the Acoustic Records are, can you just briefly tell them? Sure. Um, Thank you. You might equate you might equate Akashic Records to the universe's supercomputer. Mm-hmm. Every okay. thought word, indeed, every thought word, indeed, that we have ever had while in the human body is recorded in the Akashic Records. So um, you, can, you can have access to that. It's, it's your book of life. Mm-hmm. And, it, and if you want to think of it as an actual book, I think of a beautiful, big, embroidered, leather-bound book and it has your name on it, your soul name on it. And you can go in there and from the beginning of time, and by the way, there's no such thing as an old soul. We were all created at the same exact moment. Uh, the only re- difference between some of us is that some of us have chosen to incarnate more often than others. So we have more experience on the earth plane, which gives the appearance of being extremely wise. Um, and that's why people refer to you as an old soul. But it's not mm-hmm. that you've been around. It's not that, that you cr- we were created or that you left uh, spirit world. We all left at the same time. We all came down to earth. And the creation story, Casey's creation story, is fascinating. If anybody wants to read it, it's too long for me to to tell you about yeah, it. Yeah, I understand. But in any in any case, the Akashic records contain your life story from the very first life you've had on the earth until now, and it's always it's always being updated. And um, when I said every thought word, indeed every thought, you know, it's not just what you do; it's what you're thinking that gets recorded. And so um, that way you can, like, for instance, if you were born in 1773, you could mm-hmm. go to an Akashic reader and say, pull my book from, pull my, like, my, my, my book, and I want to read the chapter from 1773, and then everything that happened in that lifetime will be in there. So um, there's no getting away, there's no getting around it. You know, uh, it's, it's there. And, um, but it's not meant to be punitive. It's it's really just meant to be um, enlightening, and uh, you know some people are very ashamed of some things that they've done, and they don't want to really look at it. And I said, but we've all done things we're ashamed of, 
it's not just limited to to you. Um, some people, uh, you know, done things that are a lot more alarming than others. But you know, through the centuries, we have been all people. We have been both sexes. We have been uh, good and bad and in between. Um, we've died young. We've died old. Uh, we've been in wars. Uh, you know, we've raised families. Mm-hmm. We've suffered with illnesses, just about everything and anything. So when people come to me, I tell them, there's nothing you're going to tell me that's going to surprise me or shock me. Uh, and I want them to be comfortable with that. And they need to be comfortable with what they what comes up, you know, and, and, uh, and allow it to unfold because your soul never shows you something you can't handle. It really doesn't. So um, this is what makes this work so extremely valuable. And um, And I hope everybody really finds a reputable past life therapist. Um, I do them by Skype if they're out of town. If you go on my website, you could read about how we do. I prefer to do them in person, but I have done them by Skype, um, and they're almost just as effective uh, uh, if, if you want to explore it that way. Um, so it's, um, it's a, a gift that I am grateful for, and I'm thrilled to be able to share it with, with people. Well, we're thrilled that you are on the show tonight. And I have one last question. One last question. That's it. Um, You know, since you started the work or or in your whole life, when when you look at things and people, who would you say inspired you the most? Um, Well, I think I, I mentioned Edgar Casey. I think really he's been my biggest inspiration. Okay. Um, you know, as far as others that who who have worked that I've had the privilege of working with, uh, Dr. Henry Reed was my mentor at Atlantic University. He's um, been with the ARE much longer than I have. Um, and you know, the souls that that I interact with here and there, they all contribute in one way or the other. But but being a student of Edgar Casey, going to um, get my um, Masters in Transpersonal Studies, which is now Transpersonal Psychology. They changed the name. Um, At Atlantic University, those years were the most inspiring to me, to work with the mentors there, uh, very loving, kind people who who encouraged me. And um, and certainly a lot of the people I know now at the ARE uh, that, um, that just love the work, and do it selflessly, uh, and um, it's just a privilege to be a part of that soul family. And uh, and I think that if anybody wants to really learn more about any aspect of esoteric studies, that is the place to go. Uh, it's edgarcasey.org if you want to go on their website. Okay. Um, but um, to me, I don't know of any other organization, and there are many, many reputable ones, but that's the one that I really resonate to on every level possible. Okay. Well, thank you very much for spending time with us. I know you're a very busy person, but you certainly have opened up somebody's eyes tonight, I'm sure. Well, thank you for saying that, Karen. It's been my pleasure. And, again, thank you for your patience. And uh, uh, I know that we were going to do this quite a while ago, and uh, Circumstances were such that it got delayed, but I I couldn't be more pleased uh, to talk with you tonight. Thank you. Take care. 
Thank you, Karen. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. That concludes our show for tonight. And I would like to thank all the truth seekers around the world for listening. Until we meet again, may you be the light that helps others see.